0: welcome to the forensic nutritionist podcast my name is fiona tuck i'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years the forensic nutritionist podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition gut health and skin using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust we are all unique The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. On the podcast today, I'm talking with Christine Stewart. Christine has a background in nursing and she is a nutritionist and a microbiome coach for microba christine has a special interest in the relationship between our microbiome and health conditions and how dietary changes can impact our gut flora and their metabolites now welcome to the podcast christine thank you so much for taking time to chat to us today thank you
1: fiona i'm really grateful to be here and speak to you on such a wonderful topic
0: well I'm really excited to talk to you because I know that um, you really are passionate about the food that we eat and how that really does impact um, our gut microbes and also the the metabolites that they produce. And we're all about the gut health on um, the forensic nutritionist podcast, but I think people, and I've said it before, get so caught up with taking probiotics that, I don't think a lot of people realize the importance of the food that we eat and getting in those prebiotics and the importance of what I call postbiotics or, or short chain fatty acids and what they can do for your health. So I thought, who better to talk to but yourself to be able to explain it to us. So, Christian can you tell us a little bit about... Um, you know, postbiotics or short chain fatty acids and what they are and why they're so important for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it's important to know with postbiotics that there's a bit of a process that goes on before they are produced. So um, you mentioned about prebiotics and um, probiotics and there's lots of biotics to keep track of, but (laughs) essentially what happens is prebiotics help to feed and nourish the probiotics, which are the beneficial bacteria that um, live in our gut. And those beneficial bacteria do actually produce short chain fatty acids, which is what we call postbiotics or some people call it gut metabolomics as well. And um, so different bacterial species can produce different types of uh, postbiotics. So the beneficial ones tend to produce these short chain fatty acids. And in general, there are three different types of short chain fatty acids and it depends on their chemical structure, but they're usually no more than six carbon atoms and There are three that we tend to talk to the most, which is acetate, propionate, and butyrate. So these are the ones that most of the science is sort of focusing on, but they're all quite important in their their own right. So acetate is um, the two carbon compound, and this is actually probably the most abundant short chain fatty acid that we see in the gut. And that's pretty much because I think the vast majority of bacteria do have the ability to produce acetate. Um, so it's an important um, short-chain fatty acid, but it also helps to feed and nourish other species that can then um, produce butyrate from that. Um, then we have propionate, which is the three-carbon compound. And this is also helpful for um, bringing, driving down any inflammation in our gut. It uh, helps to maintain blood glucose levels and also helps in appetite control, things like that. Then we have butyrate, which is the four uh, carbon atom, uh, sorry, compound, and this is the probably the most common or most popular sp- um, researched short chain fatty yeah. acid. It's sort of yeah. the poster child all, all of, of them. Um, so this is one that is very, very beneficial, and it is a bit of a superstar of the gut. So butyrate is um, generally it's the the primary fuel source for our cells lining our colon. So the colonocytes actually love to use butyrate as their energy source. And about 70% of the energy that they use actually comes from butyrate. So essentially it helps to keep those cells quite happy and healthy. Um, And when they're happy and healthy, it means that our gut barrier um, is actually intact. It helps to maintain the integrity of that gut lining, which is important. Um, It also, by having that gut barrier intact, also helps to, I guess, limit the ability of opportunistic bacteria that want yeah. to sort of invade and in- infect our cells or cross that layer. So um, that's helpful.
0: So when you're talking about say the um, opportunistic pathogens, we're talking about things like um, sort of endotoxins entering into the, the system and causing sort of more inflammation and a sort of autoimmune type responses as well.
1: Yeah, potentially. So if we have, um, a really strong, robust epithelial layer in our gut. So that's essentially our first line of defence. If, if that's maintained and healthy through having things like a good amount of short-chain fatty acids and in particular butyrate, it actually limits the ability for some of those endotoxins and things to pass into the blood because we have that that lining there as well, which is yeah. great.
0: Yeah. And the butyrate also, that can help with our appetite as well, right? So that helps to regulate appetite. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So butyrate actually helps um, regulate appetite by activating some of those receptors that are in our gut cells that actually produce hormones that suppress appetite. So um, in particular, we're looking at hormones called GLP-1 and peptide YY. So butyrate actually helps to um, produce those those hormones. And then we feel that we're not hungry anymore. So it suppresses our appetite, helps to regulate it.
0: So I can, I just know now that everyone's thinking, how can I get more butyrate? Because <laughs> we, uh, we want to regulate those appetite suppressing. I can hear that too,
1: absolutely. <laughs> so um, it's beautiful, well, butyrate, it would be good for everyone to have, but one of the things yeah. we know about butyrate production is actually having foods that contain resistant starch and also pectin has been shown to assist in butyrate production as well. So we find that those are actually two types of prebiotics um, that. When we consume them in foods, it actually helps to nourish those bacteria that can then go on to produce um, butyrate, which is helpful for all the all the reasons that we've just mentioned before.
0: Absolutely, and I think you know the, the benefits of short chain fatty acids not only on the you know health of the gut, but it, it really sort of general health and well-being um is just incredible i think it's also interlinked with the the microbes that the short-term fatty acids and how that has a knock-on effect to to sort of pretty much every um every part of us really because even things like um and i think something you mentioned earlier to me was um that butyrate can also indirectly influence the serotonin production which is can you explain a little bit about that
1: Yeah, sure. So this is probably something that is, I guess, less known about butyrate is that it does actually have an influence on the serotonin production. It's actually a pathway to serotonin production. And um, there's about 80 to 90, I think the stats sort of change thereabouts, but it's a large amount. So 80 to 90% of the serotonin that is produced in our, uh, is actually produced in our gut. So butyrate actually helps with with that production, which is another really interesting and fascinating um, fact about butyrate as well
0: yeah and you know serotonin for those that don't know it's a, a sort of feel good hormone isn't it that sort of makes us feel feel yeah, good it's and that well-being hormone yeah it does
1: make us feel happy and calm and it's a it's a good one to be able to have the ability to produce that's for sure
0: yeah and then and that's going to affect sort of bowel movements and intestinal movement yeah, it does affect well.
1: motility yeah absolutely yeah which is so, what we
0: want <laughs> yeah absolutely so are there any conditions um, that we know of that have been linked to having low production of short chain fatty acids? I mean, I guess my question is if we're not producing enough short chain fatty acids, have we, you know, we're going to see an increased risk of certain diseases. Yeah. So because the short chain
1: fatty acids do actually support a healthy microbiome and they do help with that, um, that gut barrier Um, sometimes if we don't have enough short chain fatty acids being produced then you can see the reverse um, effects from from those so um, reduced short chain fatty acids actually have been seen in um, like inflammatory bowel type conditions so ibd um it's also been associated with metabolic type conditions so things like type 2 diabetes and even cardiovascular disease and things like that so um, they really are important to have um, being produced and it's a sign of a healthy gut when you've got lots of short chain fatty acids that are being produced and really for those to actually be happening at that level we really do need to be having foods that contain prebiotics in them so that so that people can um, optimize that production as much as possible
0: Mm. Um, And it it makes total sense to me, you know, if if the colon cells really rely on butyrate to keep them healthy, if you're not having enough butyrate, you know, if you're not producing enough, that could potentially put us at more risk of things like colon cancer. Um, And again, we know the importance of having more plant foods and fiber to help protect against that. So. I feel like it's the missing piece of the puzzle that sort of getting getting this information is, is really helping us to understand um, why so many diseases are linked to you know not getting the right the right foods in the diet. So we know that short chain fatty acids really are important to our overall general health and well-being. How are they actually Produced, you know, you said about sort of getting more plant-based foods and fibre. Um, how are how are they actually produced in the in the gut, Christine? Yeah, that's okay.
1: So they're actually produced through the breakdown of plant food. So you mentioned that um, prebiotic fibre. So the species in our gut actually have um, special enzymes that can break down that fiber or those prebiotic fibers. So I guess it's important to understand what fiber is essentially and what um, prebiotic fibers are. So fiber essentially is the, I guess, undigested um, plant cell walls that travel through our intestine. So most of our nutrients are absorbed in our small intestine, but anything that isn't absorbed or can't be broken down like fiber can actually reach the large intestine where our microbes then use it as a fuel source. So they, um, they have special enzymes. So the types of enzymes that we don't have, that's why we can't break it down in the small, en- uh, small intestine. So they do contain those enzymes and they're able to break those bonds between the molecules and they're able to, I guess, release the energy content inside. So they do have those, that ability. And then when they're fermenting that um, fibre, then they're actually then producing these short-chain fatty acids. So they're breaking it down and they're reproducing these postbiotics called short-chain fatty
0: acids. Right. And, you know, I really think that fibre is one of the most important nutrients. It's one of the least talked about because I guess people don't think it's a sexy thing or an exciting thing to talk about. But... It's such an important thing for our general health and well-being, and just to put it into perspective, you know the amount of people. I think one, of, you might have an updated stat, but the last one I looked at was something like ninety-six percent of Australians are not eating the recommended amount of vegetables. Um, and when you think that, you know, to get the short-chain fatty acid production, we we need to be eating the plant-based foods. Um, it really scares me, Christine, that people just are not eating the right foods and they're not eating enough fibre-based foods and and plant-based foods to be able to sort of support their health. Um, And I think you you mentioned it earlier, but I I just want to sort of clarify (laughs) um, or hammer it home um, that that we need the plant foods for the short-chain fatty acid production.
1: Absolutely. So, you get the short chain fatty acid production from the breakdown of those prebiotics. Um, There are some um, species that can produce short chain fatty acids from protein breakdown, but they're not as beneficial as the ones that we get from the fiber degrading. So, we really need those um, fiber munching species in our gut, and we need a good amount of them as well so that they can be breaking down that fiber and then they can be producing these beneficial compounds. And you're right. People aren't getting enough fiber in their diet and we've we've known for years that so there's been studies that have pointed to fiber and the benefits of fiber in terms of weight management and glucose control and things like that. And I guess we never really understood mm. at the core of why those studies were always pointing towards fiber until recently, now that we know that it's these short chain fatty acids that are being produced that are actually having that systemic and those other um, health Effects for for us. So um, I guess for a while now we've known that fiber is good, but now we're really understanding why yeah. that is good. And it's important to know that fiber is kind of the easy sell. Like we know what fiber is. It's the it's it's on um, nutrient packets, uh, information panels on on packets. But there are actually different types of fibers as well. And it's important to know that we need all of them. We don't just need one type of fiber. We actually need the like the whole array of them. So I guess in don't want me to take a little step back and talk to fibre a little bit about the different types or?
0: Please, I was just about to ask you. You know, <laughs> if if I mean we're talking about prebiotics, but if you can explain, yeah, let's let's talk about fibre and the the different types of fibre. Um, yeah, that would so,
1: be great. Yeah, uh, so traditionally we've sort of talked to fibre and we've sort of classified it in two categories. That's being insoluble fibre, where it's not. Um, I guess. Um, soluble in in water and then we have the soluble fiber which is the one that sort of blends easily and becomes that gel-like substance Um, and then we also have resistant starch so we do need all all different types so the insoluble fibers are the ones that are generally uh, less fermentable in our gut so these are the ones that tend to sort of go through our gut they um, help to stimulate motility as they're going through but they're it's the microbes aren't able to break them down or um maybe marginally, but they go through relatively untouched. Then we have the soluble fibre. So we have different types of soluble fibres as well, but um, these are the ones that can, I guess, um, dissolve into water and form that gel-like substance. And these are the ones that are more readily um, fermentable by our microbes, and they some are more fermentable than others. So things like the FODMAPs, they're sort of more readily fermented, um, but we do... Um, we do, do all different types as well. So um, our gut bugs break those down and we need different types. Then we have resistant starch as well, which is just as the name suggests. It's a type of starch that is actually resistant to digestion in our small intestines. So most people think of starch as, you know, those typical starchy foods like yep. potatoes, pasta, rice, things like that. And They are readily um, digestible starches, but then there is resistant starch as well. And this is the one that does pass through the small intestine relatively untouched. Um, And it is food for our gut bugs. They do actually really like this resistant starch.
0: And can you give us some examples of resistant starch? Absolutely.
1: So there's actually four different types of resistant starch, which is interesting to know in itself. Yeah. So um, they can be found in various different foods from... Um, slightly green bananas, they are really high in resistant starch. Uh, whole grains and legumes, so things like rye bread, pumpernickel bread, uh, even whole grain and wholemeal bread can contain resistant starch. Then we have things like legumes. So chickpeas are a great source of resistant starch, lentils, and red kidney beans are actually really high in resistant starch mm. as well. So if you can add some of those to a Mexican dish um, or if you next time you're having Mexican, just go completely to a, a bean mix. Sometimes that's another great way just to add a little bit of extra resistant starch as well. Um, but one of the first easy ways I get people to – I guess, try to incorporate more resistant starch in their diet is by simply cooking and cooling some of those starchy foods first. So um, it's just a really easy first step for some people if they're a bit um, wary of different grains or different um, legumes and things to start off with. Because when we we cook those starchy foods down, uh, sorry, we cook those starchy foods and then we cool them down, in that cooling process, the bonds between the starch molecules actually change into a retrograded form. And we don't actually have the enzymes that can break down those bonds between those starch molecules, but our gut bugs do. So that's why it makes it a resistant form, because we just can't break down that, that molecule once it's been cooled. So it's a really good first step.
0: And that would be when you say that the starchy foods are talking about sort of cooked pasta and then cool it and then eat it cold and potato
1: absolutely so cooked pasta rice potatoes things like that so when you cook them and then cool them down overnight um is probably the best but even just a little bit of cooling uh, in the fridge can help as well so things like in the warmer months it's really nice to have um, rice salads and pasta salads and potato salads and things like that And um, I believe that when you reheat some of those starchy foods after they've been cooled, so if you did have leftover fried rice, for instance, or some leftover pasta, when you reheat them the next day, the majority of that resistant starch does remain. So you you do lose a little bit, the majority of it does stay. So it's a good thing to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think people do actually know about the different types of fibre, and I I think it can be actually – even for nutrition it's quite confusing to be honest there are so there are so many different types um so i think the more the more simple we can make it for people the the better for sure so when we're talking about resistant starch um the benefit of that is that it's going to help with the the different types of gut bacteria as well is that correct So resistant starch is thought to be
1: one of those prebiotics that can actually reach all the way down to the distal end of the colon as well. So um, I mentioned before that some of those FODMAPs, so they're fermentable fibers as well. They can be more readily absorbed. And I guess when, when food's passing from the small intestine into the large intestine, the the large intestine that's nearest to the small intestine has, I guess, first dibs on some of the food that's coming through. So we get a lot of rapid fermentation there. Um, and it actually produces those short chain fatty acids, which is helpful for lowering the pH in that area. So we do see a lower pH there, which actually helps to um, reduce microbes because microbes, it's, I guess it creates a less favorable environment for them. But resistant starch is one that can actually travel past that ascending colon and get all the way around to the distal end, which is really important. So um, we want to be nourishing our gut bugs the whole way around because if we don't eat enough fibre and if we don't eat enough diversity in our fibres, then the last part of our bowel is literally the last spot to receive nutrients from the food that we eat. So if there's not enough to make it all the way around, then sometimes those species that live in that part of the gut can actually turn and flip what they are breaking down. So they might move from... So they always generally preference fibre but they can switch and then use things like protein and also the mucus that's lining our gastrointestinal Mm -hmm. tract. So we really don't want them to be breaking down too much protein and mucus because we get different types of postbiotics when we break down um, protein. And also with the mucus, we don't want too much mucus munching because we do need that mucus as a protective layer as well for our gut. So it helps to protect those epithelial cells from damage and from, opportunistic pathogens and things like that. So we do need enough fibre to get all the way around that distal end as well.
0: And is that using a sort of combination of different fibres and then the the resistant starch in particular is going to be beneficial to make sure?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So that's why we say to to have an array of different fibres so that um, I guess each part of the gut is getting some sort of fibre as well. Um, So yeah, having things like uh, fructans and inulin and um, Goss, which is the galacto oligosaccharide. So they're all more, I guess, highly fermentable. Then we have things like pectin and resistant starch as well. So these are ones that can a bit more complex in their structure. Um, so we do need that variety um, because different different gut bugs, so beneficial gut bugs will actually use different types of prebiotics to help them thrive and flourish. And if you think about it, if we eat the same sorts of foods day in and day out we do tend to just nourish the same sorts of gut yeah. bacteria because they do rely on us for what we eat so if we eat a really diverse diet and lots of different types of fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and legumes and whole grains then we do consume the different types of prebiotics that they all contain which helps us to nourish and support the assortment of bacteria that live in our gut and that's what, really what we want we want to have a nice diverse microbiome because it's a more resilient microbiome when we have a um, a diverse array
0: of species that live there and it makes to, to me it's common sense to have that diversity because you're also going to get different nutrients in in the diet as well if we're eating the same thing all the time um, we're sort of limiting what we're what we're taking in but again I think it's it's really understanding the importance of not having exactly the same breakfast every day or eating exactly the same foods because as humans, I think we are creatures of comfort. And even myself, sometimes I'll sort of, I'll get, um, into a, you know, I'm really into blackberries at the moment and now I want blackberries all the time. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I, I go on and off things and, yeah. um, you know, I have pears today because you know I'm like, I've got to mix it up. And, um, I think, it can be very easy to sort of get into that trap of of having the same breakfast every day or the same foods. And just even if you just mix up the fruit or mix up the veggies or add different nuts or different whole grains, really different beans, just trying to really mix it up to understand that it's to get the diversity of the different plant foods and that's what's going to help with the diversity of the the microbes in the gut absolutely and we are creatures of habit fiona you
1: know like we do generally tend to gravitate to the same sorts of foods and these are foods that uh, you know we know how to cook or prepare or that we um, have been introduced to some people just have never had different foods you know popped on their plate necessarily so um but trying new foods is, is really key. Um, even you can start with just different types of apples. So some people will only eat you know, a red or a green apple, but trying different types of apples, different types of sweet potato out there as well. So um, I, I was the same. I thought I ate a pretty good diet until I started to work in this whole microbiome space. And then I realized that actually I yeah. did gravitate to the same sorts of foods as yeah. well. So now um, I'm introducing yeah different types of sweet potatoes even so there's purple ones that we can go for um, purple carrots has been another one that we've started to delve into a bit more and certainly the grains and legumes so getting really experimental with those and I've got a thing you've got blackberries at the moment but my thing at the moment is mung beans I am loving mung beans and I've been um, cooking them up and then having them with a little bit of oil and some um, fennel seeds to flavour it, and a little bit of garlic, and it's just a really nice little side dish to have um, on a, a, as a meal. So it's been a nice thing to to try that. And I wouldn't have once done that before, but I'm actually really enjoying it, and I now know now that I know what I know that mung beans are actually high in prebiotics, and in particular. The GOS or so the galacto oligosaccharides, so I know that I'm having a good balance on my on my plate as well. When I look around and I see I've got four different types, yeah. But even even another thing that I'm really into at the minute is frica as well, which is a there really I. I could, are you? I love um, it. Yeah, me too. And this is something that I probably have never tried before until probably a few months ago potentially, um, but I'm really loving it. And I'm putting it in salads, and now I. Pr- Prep a little bit at the beginning of the week, and we'll just put a sprinkle on my salad, even just to sort of add some more diversity to my to my salads, or having it as an alternative to rice. So there's there's lots of different ways you can add some diversity, even yeah. trying different rice's. So I think you it's normally
0: exciting. Yeah, you can get excited with it, can't you? Because like you think, oh, I'm going to sort of you know really sort of treat the microbes today and, you know, try different Absolutely. foods. And yeah. We're trying all different grains at the moment and, and talking about legumes and grains, you know, there still mm. seems to be this stigma um, mm. attached to them. And I think, I, I don't know if it's come from sort of the paleo sort of um, way of thinking, um, but, you know, it's really clear, the evidence is so clear on the importance of the, the whole grains and, and legumes. And I think when I talked to Dr. Elena, I think it was, she said, what, what tends to come up when you do a um, stall sample analysis is that the, the, the key thing that seems to keep coming through, whether it's unqualified nutritionists, dietitians or, um, you know, general population, people aren't eating enough whole grains.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the areas that we do see that people um, aren't meeting their recommendations for, uh, and for various reasons, um, different you know diets that they've been um, recommended. But like you said, it's also things that they've read, but and they've they've sort of come back with that grains are inflammatory. But there, there really isn't you know a robust level of evidence for that at all um, and in fact there's more evidence to sort of suggest that this is actually a really great food for us for our, our health and well-being but also for the microbiome so a lot of the, the nutrition advice we talked to about here at Microba is for the you know benefits for our microbes but what's good for them is usually the same for us it's good for us um so long as you you know can tolerate grains and things some people obviously if they're celiac obviously need to be very careful but um, generally they are a really great source of prebiotics for for our gut bugs and yeah really great to include in your diet if if you can
0: yeah, and of course, you know, I, I guess talking on celiac, if someone is celiac, they they do have to be very mindful that they are getting the right um, types of whole grains in, even if they're the gluten free ones to to really help.
1: Absolutely, getting diversity amongst the gluten free grains is also um, equally
0: as important. Yeah, mm, I can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we also know that you know the short chain fatty acids have a in a way an anti inflammatory effect in the body. So. To, to me, it doesn't really make sense that grains and legumes would be inflammatory. I, I, it doesn't make sense. I mean, obviously, really refined, starchy carbohydrates mm. that are just sugar and processed food, not so good. But um, Absolutely,
1: yeah. It's a good point to make that when we talk about grains, we generally talk to whole grains as opposed to the refined grains, which there's probably some evidence that um, refined grains maybe are more linked to inflammation, but certainly whole grains, um, you know, the evidence doesn't seem to be there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how can we increase the ability of our gut to produce short chain fatty acids? Is it dependent on the bacteria that's already present in the gut?
1: Yeah. So everyone's microbiome is uniquely different to them. So yours will be different to mine and yours will be different to even people in your own family uh, who you've grown up with. So everyone's got their own unique fingerprint, I suppose, in their microbiome. And for us here at Microbe, it's generally about nourishing up the species that are already native to you and helping the beneficial ones to thrive and to flourish. So if there is someone that is, um, or if there's a practitioner that you're working with that is suspecting things like dysbiosis, where there's an imbalance between um, the different species in the gut, then what we talk to here is really nourishing up the, the, I guess, the native Hmm. species that are already um, present in the gut are taking up residence there we help them to thrive and to flourish and we do that through those prebiotic fibers from a really diverse array of
0: plant foods in our diet and at Microba, you can actually check what what microbes or what we know so far anyway um that somebody has actually got in the gut can't you
1: Absolutely. So uh, we use a methodology called shotgun metagenomics. So this is looking at the whole genome, as opposed to um, a different methodology called 16 rRNA, RNA, which only looks at the small um, section of the bacterial genome. So here we look at the whole whole genome, which gives us, I guess, more clarity in terms of the species that are living in, in the gut. But by looking at the whole genome, we're actually able to dig a, a bit deeper and look at that functional potential. And that's where we're able to look at the capacity or the ability for the microbiome as a collective to produce some of those postbiotics like short chain fatty acids. So that shotgun metagenomics is really helpful f- to give us a, a, I guess, a deep view into what someone's gut is able to produce or some of the roles and functions that it might be performing as well. So we're quite lucky that we get to, to see that here at Microba, um, mm-hmm. see that level.
0: And so do you sort of ever come across people that you go, oh, look, they're just not producing enough butyrate or they've got too much acetate or we need to, is that how it works when, you, when you're actually analysing?
1: Yeah. So what we do is um, we, as I mentioned, we look at the whole genome yeah. and then we look inside that for the genes that say can produce things like butyrate, acetate and propionate. And then we add all those genes up to give us an overall idea of what the whole collective can do. And sometimes we do see people that have a low potential for butyrate to be produced. And it's especially important for people who have a low potential to actually be consuming foods that contain resistant starch and also even um, things like pectin as well that helps to support that butyrate um, production so that they are optimizing that potential as much as possible. And even someone who has a high capacity to produce butyrate so they might have lots of genes in their microbiome. Um, the bacteria have lots of genes to produce it, but unless we're providing the ma- the microbiome and the bacteria with the right fuel sources, so resistant starch and prebiotics, then it won't be optimizing that that potential as much as it could be. So it's really important that we, you know, really feed the microbiome what it needs, so that it can be producing these these compounds for us at, at good levels.
0: So you can really tell what someone's diets like just really by by doing a, um, a still sample test really
1: you can so the your diet does leave an imprint in the microbiome um, so it does because it, it consumes what we consume or they mm. get the, the leftovers essentially um, you can see if someone's not having um, a good amount of fiber or if they're not having uh, sometimes people are having a good Um, amount of fiber but they're not getting the diversity of fibers and a really good example is um, someone who might have um, wheat bix for breakfast they might have a sandwich for lunch or a roll and then for dinner they might have pasta and over the day they've actually had you know a good amount of grains for the day but they've only had one type and that's wheat Um, so the same day might look very different if they could have things like um, porridge for breakfast and then for lunch, if they swapped that bread to um, maybe a rye bread, and then it, in the evening they could either use um, like pulse pastas that are coming out now, there's pulse and bean pastas, or you can use things like, we mentioned frica or rice or buckwheat, you know, quinoa, things like that. And they've actually had different grains throughout the day. And it's really important to, to get that diversity so that we can see it in the microbiome as well.
0: Mm. And something I just wanted to touch on um, while you're here <laughs> yeah. um, is we, we're talking about sort of postbiotics and we can have the, the, the beneficial action of the short chain um, fatty acids, but we can also get more sort of, I guess, toxic metabolite produced as well, can't we? From um, And is that really dependent on the food we eat and the, the bacteria that is present in the gut? Yeah,
1: so uh, there's different types of postbiotics that other species can produce that maybe aren't as beneficial um, as the the lovely short chain fatty acids that we're talking about today. And one of them, um, just as an example, is um, TMA or trimethylamine. So trimethylamine is actually um, produced by certain bacteria. So not all bacteria have the ability to do this, but certain ones do. And for, for them to be able to produce TMA, they actually need choline and carnitine, which is two proteins often found in things like red meat. And I think I think eggs have them as well. Mm. So if someone's having a high amount of um, red meat in their diet and they have a high potential to produce trimethylamine, this is something that you would probably have a chat about to see whether that's something that they could maybe... Um, you know, regulate their intake, things like that, because we don't want too much of that colon and carnitine reaching the gut microbiome where they can then produce this TMA. Because TMA does actually have uh, associations with things like cardiovascular disease as well. So, um, but if someone has a high potential for TMA production, but they're having meat in a regular sort of um, moderation, or maybe if they're vegan even, they don't have any red meat, then it may not be something to be too concerned about because, again, we're not giving the microbiome the inputs for, the, for it to be producing that TMA. So, yeah, our diet does have an impact on what postbiotics are actually being produced.
0: Yeah, and I I read it. It, it was a study, and I, I can't remember the name of the study now, but it, it was fascinating to me. It was – um I don't know if you've heard about it. It was – I think it was a guy that did – um basically did a junk food diet for, I can't even remember how long, whether it was three months. Um, and then they, they measured the, well, they looked at the microbiome before and then after. And the, I, I really can't remember the results of it, but basically the long and short was just by changing the diet into very highly processed food, a lot of animal-based products, um, fast food, basically, with no fresh um, plant-based foods, the the loss of diversity um, was was very significant, and the the bacteria that was prominent at the beginning wasn't um, at the end of the the beneficial bacteria at the end of the experiment, which I think you know just sort of goes to show how quickly our, our microbiome can change either for the better or for the worse, depending on what we're eating absolutely the microbiome
1: is reactive um, to what we eat, and that's because they do rely on Um, I guess the leftovers of what isn't digested for their fuel sources so yeah that does make sense if that's that study that you mentioned that if someone was having a low fiber diet low in prebiotics that they would have a a big change in their gut microbiome and potentially not for the the better um, because we're not having the right inputs for the gut bacteria to be producing the, the beneficial compounds that actually help our um gut health and our general health and well-being so yeah that does sound something that would um eventuate from from processed foods because when when foods are actually processed they take a lot of the fiber out as well and they mm. tend to throw in things like um uh, saturated fat salt sugar things like that to make them more palatable and also to give them more shelf life as well so um nature really does get it right so when we eat foods in their most natural form um mother nature she's she's made it easy for us it it it, they tend to have the full complement of vitamins, minerals, fibres, all the different things that we need um, for health and well being. So yeah, as less processed as possible is a really great idea for our health and also the health of the gut microbiome as well.
0: Yeah. And even, you know, some additives that, you know, and emulsifiers and things can all, all affect the, um, the microbes as, as well. So it, it is, it, as you said, Mother Nature gets it right. It packages up all the nutrients in beautiful, you know, exactly how they should be for us to absorb with the fibres and the, um, you know, the plant compounds as well that are present in, um, you know, the plant foods that just aren't available in sort of the processed foods or even the synthetic supplements that, you know, a lot of people are so readily taking and and not realising that, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, if you take a high dose nutrient in isolation, then you are gonna have a knock-on effect and knock out other things in the body and other nutrients, etc. So I think where possible, um, try and, and there's a time and a place for everything. Um if someone's got a nutritional deficiency, for instance, they may need supplementation to temporarily, but mm. Um, you know, where possible, get the food as naturally as possible, because um, it's, as you said, Mother Nature's got it all, all sorted for us. It's all there. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So we get um, all the benefits that she has intended for our body. And it's no mistake that certain foods are available to us at certain times of the year, um, particularly things like immunity, um, enriched foods, so things that help support our immune system that they're available over the cooler months things like that so no it's um it's definitely she's got it right for us and yeah, yeah if we eat whole foods in their most natural form then I think you can't really go too wrong with that
0: absolutely and I think you know it's the diversity of the plant foods as well and again I'm always saying it but I think it's what a minimum of 30 different plant foods a week which is your fruits vegetables whole grains legumes nuts and seeds is a a really good place to start
1: oh absolutely i've even heard of people sort of suggesting even closer to 40
0: different. yeah but if we can yeah yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. if we can aim for
0: 30 then we're doing
1: all right absolutely
0: i I sort of say a minimum of 30 i I normally say 40 because if i say 30 then people go i got to 20 but um if you say 40 they're more likely to get to to 30. Absolutely. And
1: easy ways to do that is, you know, you can make your own seed mixtures even. So I, I usually do that once or twice a week. I just make up a different batch of seeds and sprinkle that on things like porridges or salads or, um, you know, I always look for things to sprinkle. My husband's always calling me the sprinkle queen because I'm like, what can we add to this? What can we sprinkle on top? Cause it just adds more diversity. It's just a really easy way even sesame seeds sprinkling sesame seeds yep. on a piece of salmon makes it look a bit more gourmet but it also adds some more diversity to that meal so there's yeah. there's lift, there's lots of ways people can to add more plant foods yeah. through their day that doesn't take you know an almond a leg or it's not too complex yeah. for them so and yeah. salads
0: and um you yeah, know soup you know i put so many different veggies in soup now um just blend them up it's so easy and even in porridge you know add different berries different fruit Um, get the nuts mixed nuts on there Um, you you can really go to town and you can (laughs) yeah yeah and
1: (laughs) adds lots of flavor too it's it's you're rewarded as well from um, a flavor point of view as well as a gut bug and nourishing kind of point of view as well it's just a, a good good tip all around
0: absolutely um christine you're a minor of information anyone for anyone that is interested in maybe um doing a microbe test could you just quickly explain how someone can go about doing that sure
1: so you can head to our website and you can purchase a kit and what happens after you purchase is um, you'll receive a package in the mail and it's just a really small little swab so you just pop the cap on there and all you simply do is swab some soiled toilet tissue that you've, when you've gone to the bathroom, and then you just um, pop the, the swab back into its container and then you send it to our lab here in Brisbane. And four weeks after the lab here in Brisbane um, receive it, you'll get an email saying that your report is ready and you can log into your customer portal and have a look at your report as well. Um, Or ideally, um, working with a practitioner is another great way because they can help you with um, report interpretations and then they can use that um, in in context with um, you and your symptoms if that's something that they were looking at as well. So it's just helps them with some extra information about what that part of the gut might be looking like.
0: Fantastic. And that will also give people an idea of sort of the microbes present in their gut and yeah, what what foods to maybe decrease a little bit or what foods to increase. Which
1: yeah, think... so you'll get in your report, it'll show you what your level of diversity is. So it ranges from low average and high so it shows you what your diversity is. And diversity is actually a measure of two things. So it's a measure of the number of species that we were able to detect and also how evenly spread they are. So what we like to see is a fairly good, even spread spread um, if possible. That's the ideal. That's what we're all aiming for. But it'll show you if there's any um, species that are in a higher abundance as well. So that's, it'll show you a level of diversity. It'll show you um, some species that were detected. And then also some of the metabolites that the microbiome has the potential to produce as well. So lots of information in there um, for anyone who's interested
0: fantastic well i'm definitely all about the diversity and, and getting the foods as naturally as possible so um i'll try and see what else i can pimp my dinner out with tonight <laughs> yes that's it always look for the sprinkle what can you sprinkle on top oh yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm with you on the sprinkles for for sure christine thank you so much if anybody wants to um find out more about you or, or follow you can you just share your your instagram
1: uh, yeah, sure. So this is, um, we're at microba official, um, for our Instagram and, our, you can check out our website at www.microba.com as well. And I'm Christine. I'm one of the microbiome coaches that work here and I'm a nutritionist.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much for, um, your time today. Thanks Fiona. Cheers.